I just came to this point where I was like, I'm tired. I can see that I'm remaking the Bible into the thing that I wish it was so that I can make it do the thing I think the Bible is supposed to do. And so it kind of came to this point where I was just like, I, I don't want to look back and feel like I used the Bible. I want to look back and feel like I actually let it shape me and shape the patterns of my thinking and that I, in pastoral ministry, began to set the things that I emphasize and talk about the most by learning the agenda of the biblical authors. Welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I am Alicia, and I'm here again with Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? Yeah, so good. It's a new year. It's 2021. It feels a lot like 2020. And I'm just so glad you're, you're, you're with us again. Uh, for those that don't know, Leash is joining us on the team, helping host her and her husband are pastoring our church, a site of village in Calgary, and uh, just incredible couple serving the church here in Canada. And just grateful that you're helping us host this thing. I think that um, the general consensus has been from our listener audience that the episodes are now 25% better because you're helping host it. So thank you so much for doing that, Leash. Well, I'm honored to be here with you, and I am super excited for what's ahead. But today we're sharing a conversation you had with Tim Mackey of The Bible Project. The Bible Project creates videos on different books and themes of the Bible, and Tim is really the brain and the voice behind the videos. Before working full-time with The Bible Project, Tim served as a pastor at a church in Portland. He has his PhD in Hebrew Bible and Jewish studies, and Tim would say the mandate for his life is to help people understand how the whole biblical story works together and leads us to Jesus. I love that so much. He is incredible. Yeah, Tim is incredibly talented and humble. I was so honored to have this conversation. I mean, the resources of the Bible Project are part of my almost day-to-day life, like week to week. I am using it as part of my personal devotions. When I study for sermons, I'm watching Bible Project resources. They're building out a new app. They're providing courses online and they're giving it all away for free. And it's such high quality stuff. I really think they are one of the most important nonprofit organizations serving the church around the world right now. I was honored to have his time and he really helped me wrestle through some ideas around presenting the Bible and understanding the Bible, but then also really appreciated towards the end of, end of the interview, his vulnerability about just how he's consistently, even now as like a scholar of the Bible, still letting it work deeply on his heart and trying to bring integration. I think that was the language he used of integration to his life and it's a beautiful conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it. I love it. I'm super excited. And with that said, let's jump right into your conversation with Tim Mackey. Well, hey, Tim, it is such an honor to be with you today. Thanks for making time to share with us. Yeah, Jason, totally happy to talk. I'm a big fan of the Bible Project. I've been following on for a while. Like, Mm. I think I remember some of the early, I don't know, was it Kickstarter? What platform did you guys do Mm. some initial work on? Was it GoFundMe or Kickstarter? I just remember early on seeing stuff coming out. You know, we started with our first couple of videos with our own self-made website that was a Kickstarter type, but it was our own. But we did later do a fundraiser for a book project. Uh, yeah, I remember ki- that. Kickstarter, yeah. And I think yeah, that's cool. where it crossed my path. And that became, I mean, listen, this is what stood out to me from the beginning. Um, such excellent quality mm. on every front, visual quality, mm. quality of research, thoughtful communication, 
imagination strategy, like across the board. And so I'm just so personally impacted hmm. and thankful. And I've hmm. used it. I used it as a youth, as a youth pastor. I've used the hmm. Bible project hmm. as a dad with my wow. kids, conversations wow. with my spouse, with my neighbors. Hmm. I mean, and now as a pastor, it's a resource I continue to use. And I guess I just wanted hmm. to start, um, cause I know there's a huge team behind it hmm. for you and the team putting so much thoughtful work into these videos. Hmm. Uh, what is the driving motivation for you all? Like what mm. kind of is the big why that says we're going to do this with such excellence and thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and quality? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, well, we have a shorthand, you know, a, a phrase that we use a lot. Um, our, our goal with everything that we're creating is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to mm. Jesus. Um, Cause we think that when um, the spirit of God um, can work on people through how the Bible actually works and the story that it really is telling, um, that amazing, hmm. amazing th- things happen in the world. Things like printing presses and hospitals and the invention of the orphanage and these kinds of things. <laughs> so, um, are, so just examples, right, from church history. Yeah, there's I love a, that. There's a lot of low moments in church history, but there's amazing bright spots. And mm-hmm. they usually uh, take place when there's renewal around the vitality of scripture and of the story that we're invited into through it. So, so that's, our, that's our goal. Um, and it assumes that if we want to help people experience the Bible in this way, you know, what we assume and usually don't state unless somebody asks is that there, we think that there are some unhelpful paradigms hmm. that people are introduced to or raised with for how to approach the Bible that we think are just not going to help people uh, be in tune with what hmm. the story actually is. So there you go. I love it. Yeah. I wanna, there's like three words or statements you said, <laughs> and I hope I remember them, but I want to park on them. The first hmm. one you said that stood out to me was how it actually works. Mm. And, yes, yes. And, and, and there's, that's obviously a loaded statement. And yeah, you, I right. guess you talked about unhelpful paradigms. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to live there because I think as pastors, mm. we are sometimes contributing to unhelpful paradigms. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. just an effort to get a 30-minute sermon out or to make it accessible. Sure, sure. And then, but also, we also have the responsibility of trying to unravel unhelpful paradigms. And I just wonder, as you mm-hmm. reflect on kind of our current moment as the church, maybe mm-hmm. in the West, we could generalize. What are some of those unhelpful paradigms mm-hmm. that we need to work, work through? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's important to say at the outset, paradigms, cu- cultural paradigms, um, you know, sociologists call them plausibility structures. They're not things that you think about. They're frameworks that you think within. And Mm. so by definition, no one is quite intending to perpetuate unhelpful ways of reading the Bible. But when you're talking about cultural ways of seeing the world, intention, personal individual intentions have actually nothing to do with it. Mm. What has to do with is the the way our imaginations are shaped by history and cultural forces and so on. And so, so these are really complex issues, but you can bra- paint it with a pretty broad brush. For example, um, uh, the whole Christian tradition right across all the different types have this deep sense that the scriptures should play a role in forming Christian belief. That is what I think is actually going on around the world and what I take to be true, um, that these texts should shape our behavior and our ethical compass. Um, 
and that they should connect us in a personal way to the living God, to the, re mm. to the resurrected Jesus. So the instincts are all there, like shaping what we believe, how we live, and connecting us to something. The book is a conduit to connect us to somebody. Um, and it's not the only conduit, but it's an important one. And so those instincts are all there, and they have all different kinds of expressions in church history. What, where we're at is a moment, especially in the, in the Western Protestant church, where those instincts have been translated into, yeah, just what I call less than helpful practices. So um, I was introduced as a brand new Christian in my 20s, trying to follow Jesus, reading the Bible. I had very little familiarity with it growing up and um, reading it in my 20s. And I, what, I, in, this is like in my first year of learning how to read it. And I took a theology class at a Christian college. And the way that I was taught to use the Bible was I have questions about, is God eternal and how does God relate to time? Or what's the nature of the human person? And then I would, you, you treat it like a reference book. So mm -hmm. you hear are the chapters and verses that you go look up to answer those questions. And so um, what I was also doing simultaneously to that was actually just reading the Bible, mm. <laughs> you know, like a book. And I just didn't understand how those two ways of treating the Bible worked together because um, mm. it was like, okay, I can look here for an answer and look up one sentence, but like, what's the rest of the page about? And why am I right. just highlighting this one sentence that says something? And you get what I'm saying. So totally. One, one, one. I think there's three that we could talk about. But one is treating it as a dictionary theology reference book to where I go to find the right things to believe about X, Y, or Z. And so I, um, it's a right instinct. <laughs> yes. Poor, poorly executed. <laughs> um, and uh, because the, the, the Bible doesn't present itself as a, a reference work, like a dictionary mm -hmm. or a systematic theology. Um, and so there's, yeah, that's one challenge that I think there are ways to overcome it, but it's, it's really widespread. I, yeah. you, you, I'm guessing you resonate with that. Well, I, I resonate with it because I think, I love the language you use because you're, you're really giving the benefit of the doubt is like, for any of us, whether we have formal biblical education or not, we mm. go into the pulpit as a preacher or into small group as a small group leader, wanting mm. to help people shape their beliefs, mm -hmm. frame a moral compass, which is, and these are all noble tasks, and then connect with yes. the living God. Yes. And, and I know for me for a long time, the way my preaching, I think I continue to fall back into it, even in an effort to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. The genre sometimes and the modes that I've learned ultimately still ha have myself falling back into that reference book mentality yeah. or like yeah. a rule book or an oversimplification. I think you use that word. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so I guess I'm wondering selfishly, like, mm. what's my way out when I've got these, <laughs> like, I've got yeah. these kind of rhythms built into maybe, yeah, totally. I don't know if it's my yeah. personal hermeneutic or it's just my homiletic style, but I'm, I'm trying to find a way out. And then yeah. I also feel like I need to name these things for yeah, people, whether right. they come from outside the church or inside the church. Yeah, to totally. So uh, the, the analog to the theology reference book is the behavior manual approach. Right. And it's fairly similar uh, in that, you know, I can isolate certain passages that here's a Christian ethic summarized in a paragraph or a sentence and do this and don't do that. Uh, mostly the New Testament letters and then the Sermon on the Mount and a few other passages of Jesus' teachings. Um, but again, um, right instinct, 
But for anybody who's just coming as a newbie, they're going to ask, well, why mostly from that part of the book? There's like a bunch of other commands in right. this other section of the book. And like, what you, you know, do you eat shellfish and pork and like, you know, this kind of thing. So, the, um, so it raises the question of like, what, what is my approach here? Like, how do I, what's, and then we create these systems, usually in denominational traditions about what parts of the Bible count as the parts you get the behavior manual from. And so, um, and actually the instinct for the connection to the living God is analogous to both of those. It's the one-liner, it's the chicken soup for the soul approach, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so you take, this is, it's especially evident in the psalm, how we t- treat the Psalms often, hmm. um, because there'll be this amazing paragraph about God's loyal love upholds the skies and it's eternal and as far as the east is from. And I'll west, just skip the part though about like asking bash for out the my, wrath bash or my enemies' heads yeah. and like <laughs> let them eat gravel and this kind of thing. Yeah, totally. So what I'm after here is I, I just came to this point where I was like, I'm tired. I can see that I'm remaking the Bible. Hmm. into the thing that I wish it was so that I can make it do the thing I think the Bible is supposed to do. Wow. And so it kind of, and, and this is, I'm summarizing years of a journey here, but I kind of came to this point where I was just like, I, I don't want to look back and feel like I used the Bible. I want to look back and feel like I actually let it shape me and mm-hmm. shape the patterns of my thinking and that I, as in pastoral ministry, begin to set the things that I emphasize and talk about the most by learning the agenda of the biblical authors. So, all the way back, reading the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus, it, it, it's a paradigm of recognizing that these are beautifully, very intentionally crafted literary works from all across different genres. And that these, uh, the first three quarters, the Hebrew Bible, these are the texts on which Jesus himself was raised. And on which his imagination was formed and sparked. Um, these are the texts that the way he quotes from them, they clearly um, were the means that the Spirit used to awaken him to his own identity and calling. And they, are, they tell the story that he saw himself bringing to fulfillment. And you don't have to read but one or two of the Gospels one, a couple times through, and you get that. Yeah. And so then it just became for me, all right, I just want, I want to learn to read these texts and get out of them and help other people get out of them what Jesus saw in them. And, and then forward with the writings of his apostles. And so how, how that, you're, to, you're totally right, the, this, the, the weekly, daily, monthly, annual rhythms of especially Protestant church life, and depending if you do the lectionary or if you don't, um, or do the church calendar or you don't, but it what we tend to do, we encounter or offer engagement with the Bible in manageable chunks, small chunks, and that for practical needs, right? Yeah. It makes sense. Like it's, Sunday worship is not a lecture. Um, uh, it's worship, right? Uh, and scripture needs to play a part in worship. And so the question is, how have we let um, these structural um, habits uh, determine what the Bible can and can't do, and what are creative ways that we can let the Bible uh, really come to life and let the biblical authors do what they are mm. trying to do, and we just kind of are pointing people at that. 
Um, so I know it's pretty broad theoretical, but that oh, for I me, that's you taking time to do that. That's kind of the, the heartbeat because I know those weekly, monthly, annual rhythms. I lived in them yeah. as, as a pastor for many years, but there are ways hmm. uh, to help people engage scripture in more than just the, the belief or moral um, teaching sound bites. There, there mm. really are ways to do it, and um, some of them are really ancient. It turns out, <laughs> but uh, so are, we can talk more some, about that. But I would love to, and I think I wonder: are some of is some of the ways you, we do that in the way we talk about the Bible, mm. like even just mm. how we refer? Because I notice, like, sure. um, even a, a practical rhythm and example would be referring to the author's name. I notice some Bible teachers they really intentionally mm. go mm. in Luke's account, and I mean, mm-hmm. it's there's a statement there. Sure. And sure. for yes. some that grew like it's God's word. So it's like, are you, you know, there's a, there's like yeah, implications yeah. there. I just wonder yeah. are there other little things that show up uh. in our, in our language of how we refer to the Bible that you think could actually contribute mm. to helping people even subconsciously mm-hmm. adopt mm-hmm. a more holistic paradigm. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And these are things that I, yeah, tr- tried to do over the years and to develop. So one is um, even without offering a class or doing a sermon series on the work of the Spirit, for example. Um, the way that the, the, the Spirit's work is portrayed in the Scriptures is always, except for Genesis 1 verse 2, because there's no humans around yet. Um, but other than Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit is always at work in and through humans. Mm. Um, and so the, um, the Spirit's role in bringing God's word to us through the scriptures is precisely through working through these humans and their words, their human words hmm. <laughs> that speak to us a divine word. And I think that's what it means to be an Orthodox Christian is to also to believe that about Jesus too, <laughs> is that he's human and that he's divine and that we shouldn't let either one cancel out the other. And so even just, you're totally right, uh, referencing the human authors and if uh, they're anonymous, which is true for a lot of the Old Testament, to just say the author, what the author's emphasizing, what the author's communicating. Um, one practice I found in teaching from the New Testament is to always be aware of what Old Testament subtext is working hmm. in, the, in the background of the chapter, paragraph, or section that I'm working in, in the Gospels of Paul, and then to integrate that. And, and or just like help people see. Like, hey, see what Paul's saying here? Do you know where he got that word from? He got it from Psalm this. Hmm. And over the years, what you're teaching people is that the Bible's unified. Hmm. <laughs> and the, this part connects to that part. Um, and that if you really want to understand or take a deeper dive, I would need to know all, all the different parts. Um, that's one thing. A- another thing that I used to think was nitpicky, but now I'm, I kinda, I'm a little more serious about it. I think our language of life lessons uh, or the word application is it was one of these subconscious communicators um so um application speaks of a handbook Mm. or of a of um a reference book um and i've come to adopt um the language of response the Mm. author just did something to us by telling us that story about jesus what are we going to (laughs) do What's, what's a faithful response? Because I think there's just something of how does that apply to our lives? You're automatically starting to teach people like, oh, parts of the Bible apply to your life. But then they're going to go read the laws about shellfish and Leviticus, and you say, well, that doesn't apply. And then right. it raises that whole question again. 
And it's like, no, dude, Leviticus demands a response of God's people right now. Um, but it, the language of application won't quite get you there. And so application versus response. Well, those are just some little things. And that's, that's so top, helpful. Off the top no, of my head. No, it's so helpful. But. I love that. And I also love the language of response. It's, it's, a gos- it's, it's the gospel way of reading the Bible as well, in yeah. the sense yeah, that sure. it puts the emphasis in the right place. It's the right yeah. order. Yes. Um, yeah. I, um, I'm hearing the counter argument in my head when, I, when we have mm. this conversation that might sound like, is this not too big of a burden to put on a new believer? You know, the spirits mm. that work in their heart, helping mm. them understand mm. scripture. Mm. And then even for a young pastor or mm. communicator or a youth pastor. Mm. And, I, and, and I guess, mm. I don't know, what's mm. the question? The, quest, the question is, what is, this, is this a barrier for people to enter the Bible? Or oh, how do we invite people in yeah. before they yeah. have the full story? I see. Well, um, uh, it's not a burden in as much as if somebody's going into church ministry or trying to follow Jesus, they're going to have to reckon with the Bible <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I love you, that word, reckon. Yeah. I mean, you can't avoid it. And even your avoiding is itself a reckoning with it mm. or choosing not to reckon with it. And so um, the, the, the whole question is how? How? What role will the Bible play in my ministry um, as a pastor? Um, and what role will the Bible play in my life as a follower of Jesus? And it will play some role. And whatever role it's going to play, it's going to require effort. It's going to require effort for me to find reasons or justify why I think I shouldn't pay attention to it. <laughs> or uh, it's going to take some effort to learn how to engage in these ancient texts hmm. um, that... Uh, for 2,000 years, and then for in the Jewish tradition, 3,000 plus years, um, these communities have continued to discover new, new words, <laughs> new and relevant uh, words in these ancient texts um, that speak to us things we would have never th- thought to hear. And so, I, um, I don't. I'm not. I'm not unsympathetic to that, but I think my point is is that people are already going to be doing something with the Bible, and so we're. I'm just. We're just trying to help people, like maybe up their game a little bit or get some better best practices, that will actually be more vitalizing as, yeah. as they teach and engage the Bible over time. Very practically, when I'm beginning a journey of helping people understand the Bible, I'm pointing them to the Bible Project, which is interesting. Like. Hmm. Um, even one of the rhythms in my own life is when I start a new book of the Bible, I often like, yeah. like say Judges was recently. I just watched the Bible Project yeah, on Judges. Sure. I've seen it yeah. before, but it just helps me. It helps me see the architecture of the book and those types yeah. of things. Yep. If yep. there wasn't a Bible Project, mm. and uh, <laughs> what would be like the book? Like I just think I'm trying to get really practical for yes. pastors listening, and yes. there's a new believer or someone yep. who grew up in church with all the, this baggage on the Bible. Mm-hmm. What kind of resources or books or thought leaders would you point people towards? Say, hey, this mm-hmm. is a good primer. Mm-hmm. To help understand it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, w- what we're doing with the Bio Project is mediating what, for me, has now become hundreds and hundreds of scholars that have influenced me through their books and a handful in person that you know I've gotten to take classes with. But um, for me, two, two, three key professors from early in my life. Only one of them has really published a lot. It was a Hebrew Bible scholar named John Salehammer. And he has a one-volume whole Bible commentary. So it's maybe 
20-ish pages on every book in the Protestant Bible. And he introduces you to the literary design, main mm. themes and ideas of each section, and how the ideas develop. And if that sounds familiar, <laughs> uh, it's because the Bible Project, in many ways, is carrying on the legacy of John Salehammer's work. He had an enormous influence on mm. me. And, um, and I've gone to learn on and develop multiple things and say some things that maybe he wouldn't quite say it. But if there's one scholar who, and he wrote very accessible books, Wow. Um, he has a few commentaries on Genesis, but his one volume Bible commentary, I went through like four of them in my 20s because I they would just use them until the spine was broken. And um, it's, you know, it's like a $13 hardback. I mean, come on. Beauty. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I on. love it. Yeah. Tell me about the work of making something accessible because mm. I think someone watching a, a six-minute primer mm. on a book of the Bible or theme mm. book, mm-hmm. uh, theme study, I know that there are, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say thousands of hours of collective work going into that, tons mm. of resources, yeah. um, to make it feel simple and accessible, like it just kind of happened. Can yeah. you talk about that conviction to make it accessible? Yeah. Well, um, man, there's a long, I don't want to tell my whole life story, but um, you know, I, I started following Jesus because through an outreach ministry of skateboarders here in Portland. Um, it was a, a church that actually built a large warehouse skateboard park in their back lot and opened it in the evenings to the community. Um, and you could skate in the park as long as they would shut it down halfway through each night and one of the staff would, would give tell a story about Jesus or you know tell one of his sayings and talk about it. And uh, to skate the second half of the night, you had to sit through the talk. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, but so, you know, my... Um, uh, my discovery of Jesus happened in a context where people were translating hmm. the sayings and stories about an ancient Jewish man into into a framework that I could understand. And so I think that was just kind of wired into me. It's just like, yeah, this is from stuff from a long time ago, but it's about right now and everything and everyone. And it makes the sense that it does because it speaks to the universal human longing. And so it, we all know what that is, <laughs> or if we don't, it's because we're in denial. And <laughs> should probably see a therapist about that. But let, you know, let's help people discover what they are longing for and maybe have suppressed. So it just it shouldn't be. There's a lot that's complex if you want to get complex about it. But at its core, it's speaking to the human, the human condition. So I don't know. That's just ingrained in me from mm. the days at the skateboard park. Is make it real, make it simple. And uh, don't make it too complex. Then I went into biblical studies, and and then things got really complex. <laughs> and uh, and I love that beauty and the complexity now. But I, that's just an abiding conviction that stuck with me. Mm. Is if I can't summarize it in a few minutes and make it real for myself, um, I'm not uh, I'm not ready to say anything about it yet. Mm. Can you so, tell me a bit more about the story from? discovering Jesus at Skate Church yeah. to the Bible Project. I know there's some different plot points. You mentioned a oh, steady sure. theology, yeah, yeah. but just take your time. I mean, I'm just, I'm so impacted by your work and it's real an, it's really an honor to hear a bit more about your story. I think a lot of listeners yeah. would love just to know a bit about the plot points that actually, until you oh, got yeah. to a place where you're full time creating this content like this. Yeah, sure. Yep. Totally. I mean, I, I know I ended up there because of a tangent from your question about how do we make 
how do we make the videos? But, um, but there you go. This is how conversations go. Take me there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know that the community around that skateboard park was really remarkable. Um, it was uh, skateboarders, people really embedded in skateboard culture, and that was my life and my world in my teens and early twenties. Um, but it was also a really tight knit community of people who loved and served each other hmm. in these types of friendships that I had just never witnessed before. Um, and it, what I now know to call it is agape, <laughs> the Greek word for love. Uh, it's, it's Christian love, people wow. loving and supporting each other. And it was just like, wow, people hmm. live this way. And it was amazing. And so there was a, a Christian college across the street. And so a group of friends and I, we had all started following Jesus around the same time through that skate park ministry. And two of them, um, well, and so if you got involved with the park, you're, you're sharing your story, on, you're giving one of the talks, and you're, um, for me, I, I was asked to start teaching the junior higher Bible study, like junior Come high on. skateboarders. And I'm like, I don't know what, that's a tough I, audience, man. Oh, that is dude, a tough tell, crew. Yes. This is where I cut my teeth on how to <laughs> communicate anything about the Bible is with junior high skateboarders. And so I didn't know. And I had two of those friends started taking Bible classes at the Christian college across the street called Multnomah. And so I signed up for classes. My first one was like a systematic theology class. And I was like, I, uh, okay. I, it was hard, to be mm -hmm. honest. It wasn't a great first experience. But then my second semester, I ended up in a um, how to read biblical literature class. And uh, Ray Lubeck introduced me to the wonderful world of art uh, and philosophy and literature and how to appreciate the beauty and artistry of texts in general, but especially ancient Jewish biblical texts. And I was just captivated, man. Mm. I just, wow. And it's, there you go. I was, I was hooked since then. And so uh, biblical studies and then that group of friends and I um, signed up for Greek and then Hebrew. And I just, I, okay, so it, for me, it was just pure joy and discovery. And it was yeah. like, I am, I'm feeling, I'm being taught how to read these texts the way I think they're designed to be read. Hmm. And even before I could learn Hebrew, I was feeling like, man, I get it. I can get it. Like I can read these texts and like get what's going on. It felt so empowering. Um, and, but there also were complexities. Um, I didn't understand why when Paul and Jesus quote from the first three quarters of the Bible, but the words are different or mm -hmm. the conclusions they come to are really different than maybe what I, anything I would see in that passage if I just read it. And so I was like, what's that all about? Uh, and then I learned that there were multiple versions of the Bible in Jesus' day, in Greek, in Aramaic, and in Hebrew. And dude, I got sucked in big mm. time, like mega vortex. Uh, <laughs> and, and it wasn't a intellect, it wasn't a faith crisis, but I, I was hitting, I was coming up to the edge of my paradigm, kind of like in, um, you know, those movies where, uh, I just watched the Lego movie with my voice. I don't know if you've seen the Lego movie, um, but it's like that one Jim Carrey movie, uh, Truman Show, where yeah. they don't know it, but they're all of a sudden realizing they're living in this constructed world and they hit the wall of it. And so I was uh, discovering the complex manuscript history of mm -hmm. the Bible. Um, it's, it's complicated. 
And my concept of what it means for this book to be God's word, I hit this wall. And mm. I was like, I, I don't know how this belief works with the facts on the ground as far as manuscript history. And so um, I went for it, man. I just, uh, I did a lot of work in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the old Greek translation of, of the Old Testament called Septuagint. And I really wanted to figure out how these books actually came into existence. Mm. And so um, I came to a place of resolution. It took me a long time and a long time to gain the skills to know how to get at those issues. But I'm so grateful that I spent mm. so many years doing that because I emerged out the other side with a much broader, um, like I still hold the conviction that these texts speak a divine word. But uh, I also um, am, am fully able to account and integrate the very complex human processes that the Spirit worked through to bring mm. these texts into existence. So that was a major step for me. Wow. And um, we haven't made a lot of videos, actually, about that, the making of the Bible. But um, I just had to work that stuff out yeah. for me to feel like I had intellectual integrity. Could I take a pause yeah. there? Yeah, um, yeah. How do we help people in our congregation who are in that journey, r yes. wrestling with the Bible? Because I feel like what I've watched yes. very personally here in Vancouver is they, they, they want to believe, but the Bible, which is... Yes an yep. invitation to believe becomes an obstacle for belief. Yes, totally. How totally. do we as pastors serve those f people? Yes. Yep. No, that's totally right. So, uh, yeah, so, so so I hit it first with those issues of manuscript and history and so on. But um, m what I learned, like you, through, through years in pastoral ministry, is many people uh, hit that wall, um, usually around sex uh, or violence in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> So just pick, pick, your, pick one of those two and you're, you're hitting most of your audience's struggles with the Bible. And so um, for me, the biggest reframe is actually um, not, you, you need to address those particular issues. But the bigger thing is to reframe the context to say the purpose of the Bible isn't to make everything clear. <laughs> um, the purpose of the Bible is to become one of the venues with which we wrestle and struggle with the living God and what God is doing in his, human history in and through mm. Jesus and the spirit and the, the mission of God's people. Um, the, the, story, the famous story about Jacob wrestling with God mm. in the middle of the night. In Jewish tradition, and what that story is about, that's the story where the people of Israel are named Israel. <laughs> that's the story. That's where the story, right? That's where the name comes from. It means struggles with God. And so, um, for, and uh, the co-founder of the Bible Project with me, John, has very much had that journey where he hit these obstacles and his, his community of faith wasn't a safe place for him to ask mm. his questions. That's why he would always come to me with his questions. And I loved it because I was like, oh man, you're, you're in the wrestling match. Yeah. Like you're, you're, mm. you're in the wrestling match. And that's where the action is at, is, um, and that's where the growth happens, in my mind. And so it's that reframe to say, like, when you're having deep questions, um, the Bible isn't your enemy. The Bible is actually becoming a venue through which your faith is becoming more nuanced and more mature. Hmm. But you've got to wrestle with the thing. 
Because um, if you let it go too soon, you will have let go not of the Bible, but of whatever misunderstandings that I just haven't taken, made the effort mm. to clear up. I don't. Does that make sense? So yeah, it's, totally. it's just reframing, and uh, people may not always want to hear that. Um, yeah. But I, um, it's built into the tradition that this God is difficult to understand and deal with. Hmm. It's built into the story. Um, that's how Abraham felt. <laughs> that's how most of the authors of the Psalms felt. Uh, that's why they get so angry at God in like half the Psalms is because they don't understand everything. Yeah. And it makes them frustrated. And to say that there's a full, there's a full room dedicated to that <laughs> in, in the Jesus uh, tradition. And we need to honor it, honor when people are in that sacred place of wrestling, wrestling with their deepest questions about God. Beautiful. Well, thanks for that tangent. Okay, back to yeah. your story. So oh, in oh, your, yeah. you're, you're, you're studying and you're, you get, you, I loved your word, you got down the vortex of like oh, manuscript yeah, totally. history and you're That's in right. it. And then, so I, and then tell, me, was, tell me what happens there. Yeah, I thought I was going to become a professor. You know, I had sure. moved to Wisconsin and was in a PhD program in Jewish studies. And it, um, so I got into my student teaching at the University of Wisconsin. I was teaching like 200 freshmen, this huge room, Introduction to Judaism or Introduction to Biblical Literature, like student teaching, you know. And, uh, and there's like kids making out in the upper rows. And like, this was right in the advent of uh, instant messaging. Remember those AOL messengers and so on? Oh, yeah. And so in this huge room, and then there's like 10 students who are like into it. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is not why I got into this or where I think I want to be. And I was halfway done, you know, with my degree. And so... Um, our church that we were a part of and going to um, was a church really integrated into the life rhythms of the university. It's huge. University of Wisconsin, big state university in the Midwest. And so um, this church was just vital. Lots of faculty, staff, students at the university. And so I just asked if I could um, just teach some classes on stuff that I thought was cool about the Bible. And it was like I had a room full of like faculty from biology and sociology and a bunch of grad students and college students and they're just people or normal people from the community and we're doing biblical theology and I was just like on cloud nine and uh, so I just I just dove in to wow. a teaching ministry at that church and they eventually um, started compensating me <laughs> Come on. Put, putting so it's much time moment. towards it <laughs> and it was such a gift and so um that was my introduction in, into pastoral ministry was at blackhawk church in in madison wisconsin super healthy church great leadership team and um i discovered that i my calling was to live at that intersection of scholarship and the life and mission of the local church and so the pastor who taught me how to preach Chris Dolson, but he but he had, he had another a different skill set, but he had the similar conviction that if you can't say it in a sentence, you don't under, you're not ready to teach or preach yet. Mm. If you don't have one, if you can't say it 
in a, in a clear sentence that makes sense to everybody. And so he was my mentor mm. in that next phase of my life as a communicator. And uh, that was formative. That was just a, such an amazing season of life. And so then that kind of launched me into pastoral ministry, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to be a pastor and, and then be a nerd, a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was that phase um, um, in the early 2000s when the model was, I'm going to be like hip urban Come on. Pastor. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so um, I tried that for a while, and uh, that didn't work very well <laughs> for lots of different reasons. And so then I just kind of became like, I'm just nerd pastor, and um, that's okay. And so anyway, so that, that was my journey. So the Bio Project was a total surprise, hmm. where a friend from the skate park who had stayed in Portland when I moved back to Portland, um, he pitched the idea to me. Wow. He had started an animation company making short explainer videos, uh, mostly for tech clients. And um, we had stayed in touch over the years. He was a persistent question asker. And the way he asked questions, always like, wow, I never thought to think about it that way. And so we liked talking. And so uh, he was the one who pitched the idea of starting wow. a bio project. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And did you have any idea that it would have the scope and scale that it does today? Oh, no. No, of course not. No, we, I don't think we still do. <laughs> Kate, I know that you're, you're not going to enjoy this question, um, yeah. but I want to ask it anyways. Can you help just unpack the scale of reach of the Bible Project right now? Like just languages. Oh, sure. Like I, I know, I, I know just you, you probably don't want to yep. talk about all the numbers, but I think it's, sure. just, it's pretty special. No, and it's, I, such I, a, it's so evidence yeah. of God's hand on it. No, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, so... Uh, um, so we started, we have a library of 150 videos now. Um, uh, we started also filming um, small classes that we produce into free online kind of seminary level Bible classes. Um, and uh, those resources are being translated into about 29 different languages now. Um, wow. our, our English YouTube channel um, is uh, about two and a half million subscribers, Amazing. but across all of our YouTube, every language has a YouTube channel when it launches with a part of the library. And so, um, I, I don't know, it's millions and millions of people. I don't, it's a lot. And, of hu and hundreds <laughs> of millions of views of people hundreds, watching. Yeah, to yeah, totally. Yep. It's stunning. Um, and so we've built, uh, um, the, the, really the lifeblood of this is our creative team and our patrons. Um, mm. We have about 15,000 dedicated patrons um, who give an average of uh, $23 a month. And um, that number, obviously, we didn't start with that. We grew, yeah. you know, with 27 and then 318. In fact, you'll, there are some videos from early in the library where John and I will get on and be like, hey, 318 of you helped us make this video. Yeah, and <laughs> that's so, so good. But um, uh, for... Uh, some reason, um, the, the, the mix of talents and unique life stories has resulted in the creation of this stuff, this, these resources that just connect with a lot of people yeah. and speak to a need that people um, actually want to be interested in the Bible if there was that first few steps of somebody showing me how it works. Um, and, and so there you go. That's, that's what we're trying to that's what we're it's so to do. exciting. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting. It's pretty cool. And I think it really 
it honors it honors the Bible, but it honors God. It's because there's something you guys do where it doesn't feel like commentary on. There's not uh, sure. quote unquote application. It's like what I the imagination yeah, yeah, yes. I have about what you guys yeah. are doing is you you're lifting up the book, yeah, inviting people into it and letting it do its thing. Is that fair? Totally. Like, no, that's lifting exactly it up. right. Totally. And it, no, that's it's right. like a faith position almost. It's like I'm betting on its power if we can yeah. just invite people into it. Can you speak to that invitation? I think it's, it's a brave yeah. invitation because you're saying you yeah. guys hit some topics like um, even the Spiritual Beings series you did. You're yeah. kind of like, this yeah. is weird stuff. Come on in. <laughs> Jump totally. on. Come on into this mix. I just feel like yeah. there's this yeah. cool thing you're doing that's saying we're not going to be, def- we're not defending this. We're inviting people into it. I don't know. Maybe you can yep. speak to that and yep. clarify what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's, um, yeah, we're not trying to convince anyone. So we don't, we don't take uh, an explicitly evangelistic tone. Um, you know, people will often notice this when we'll say something like, well, Jesus claimed this about himself. Um, and whereas most people, what they might think is, well, if you're a Christian and you're making media to help people understand Jesus, you should just say what you think. Right. Jesus is this. Um, and so it, that's like the difference is where I'm betting on the fact that Jesus is a big boy <laughs> and he doesn't need me to defend him, but he has called his people to tell the story. Um, and the story does its own work uh, through the mysterious power and work of the Spirit. And that's exactly right. We're just trying to tee people up to just remove the obstacles so that people can have this fresh encounter with the story and the message of, these, of the scriptures. And so, yeah, something happens, man. It's, just, it's really remarkable. Mm. <laughs> it's, like, it's like these texts actually speak a divine word to people when they can hear it in their own, in their own categories. So that's right. You're, you're sniffing out a, an important value that um, the Bible provides its own persuasion. Hmm. It's kind of liberating, isn't it? To kind uh, of totally. not carry that on your shoulder as the communicator. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's completely right. And I, and I think I stumbled upon that just as my temperament. Um, hmm. and, and I don't know, maybe it's growing up in Portland or in skateboard culture. I just, um, the moment I'm feeling someone turn on the rhetoric and trying to convince me and, um, whether or not you really think they fully believe what they're trying to sell you, I just, I don't know. I, my defenses go up. Sounds very Cana- people- Canadian of you, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Is that <laughs> I true? I mean, that's how we roll. You know, yeah, we, d- sure. we don't, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be looking like we're trying too hard at something, you know? And <laughs> sure. uh, we're kind yeah, of interesting. skeptical of anyone that maybe yeah. does. No, yeah. I love that. There's a couple values of the Bible Project that, I don't know if I've ever heard you guys express them, but they just show up. Like one mm. is what I just described. Another is you guys are mm. giving this all away. I mean, it would make total sense to me yes. if you guys yes. charged for it. It's another viable model for sustainability. Yes. But yep. there's obviously a conviction on giving it away. Can you speak yeah. to that conviction a little bit? Yes, um, t- totally. Um, yeah, communication is a really multifaceted thing. Um, and so obviously th- when anybody has content to communicate, you're listening to what they say, um, but uh, but it's the whole life or the whole organization's life that tells the real story about the message mm. being communicated. And I think this is just as true in the life and rhythms of a local church. And people can see that. And so, um, yeah, what John, um, John had some powerful experiences 
uh, where the, the Spirit really overturned his categories about generosity and scarcity and abundance. Mm. This happened a couple of years before we started the project. And so he had started a business, um, made a, a lot of money um, that really wrecked his sense of reality. Mm. And he had a really powerful conversion experience about wealth mm. and um, abundance and generosity. And so he carried that with him. And the moment he, he was John's idea that, man, what would be rad is um, for lots of different reasons, if we could actually communicate the biblical message of generosity by how we actually structure the whole project mm. for the idea. And I was like, sold. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And yeah. I don't know how on earth we're going to do that. In fact, the, uh, the guy who's our executive director now, Steve, who was a mentor for John in that season of his life and, and still is, you know, he's a mentor for me too. Uh, I mean, his first response when we pitched the idea to him was like, it's a beautiful idea. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's so nice. That's so sweet, guys. Because, you know, digital media is expensive. It represents yeah. hundreds, thousands of people hours. Um, yeah. Lots of money uh, goes into creating hot, well-produced um, a- animated, illustrated media. And so... It was, yeah, it was a crazy idea. But, um, you know, we released, we raised money. John put in some of his own money to get some first draft pilots that we could start showing to people to raise some money to finish just the first two videos. And it was a small circle that helped us pay for those Mm. first two videos. But then the moment we released them, we raised the money for the next video, like in in two days. And then that, that just kept repeating itself. And so... The medium's the message, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, there's lots of reasons behind it. Um, I want no, you know, we want to remove all obstacles, including a financial one, but there's something that uh, there's a real joy for us in being able to give it away, not because it's free, but because it's already paid for. Hmm. <laughs> that's the, that's what we mean by free is yeah. already paid for. Yeah. And like it's such a beautiful image. Uh, to me, it's a daily reminder of getting to work on this, that it's already paid for. It's wow. like a living icon of the gospel <laughs> in my own life. You know, the fact that I get to do this every day is because it's been covered by the generosity of God's people. And so, yes, there you go. I could obviously... That's stunning. A, yeah, I'd love to talk about it, but uh, that's the basic idea. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Just before we jumped on, you shared with me just how you've been reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, and this idea of integration, um, an integrated life. And I just would love to hear some of those reflections before we sign off for today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, um, I know I'm not alone in this. Um, Through years of pastoral ministry, um, one of the main roles, whether it's a teaching role mainly, or some teaching, but then also just a lot of personal spiritual guidance and shepherding. Um, the, the scriptures are, are a key ingredient. They're a main vehicle of helping guide and shape people. And um, that's a very sacred and important role to be a mediator of the scriptures into the lives of people. Um, it also puts that person, um, uh, it, it puts that communicator uh, in a v- delicate and vulnerable position. Um, be- because when I become a purveyor of biblical ideas, 
um, it, it happens very quickly that I outpace my actual personal growth and development. <laughs> mm. um, what I'm teaching is way over my skis, so to speak, of what I'm actually embodying in my own life. Um, and so it's just, it's inevitable and the issue will come up. <laughs> and so the question is, will I be aware of it? Um, will I be aware that what I'm calling my community to, and this is still happening with me, I'm create, helping create all the stuff that's telling the story and, you know, trying to lift our vision to the, what it means to live as the new humanity and followers of Jesus. And so I'll write a video where you teach a class or you give a sermon or you meet with somebody and you share with them something from scripture. And then if you allow yourself the moment of vulnerability, you'll realize that, um, yeah, that's, I totally have not integrated that into my own life very much or at yeah. all. Um, so I, I, what I realized a few years ago was I had reached that point yet again, but, had, but also had developed all of these um, justifications sure. for why I didn't need to pay attention to that sense of disintegration. And so uh, it, it, it's happened on multiple fronts <laughs> um, with regard to, uh, I, I have lots of hangups about scarcity mentalities, especially around time hmm. uh, already, just in my temperament. Um, but I, I realized that I uh, had developed habits of extreme scarcity and selfishness about my time. Um, and I just had to, it was one of these moments where I'm like, I, my life doesn't actually reflect the values that I see Jesus calling me to. Hmm. And uh, I am not the person that I want to be. Um, it, uh, the current events, you know, in 2020, in America, both the, the pandemic and um, uh, the, the spotlight uh, on racial inequities that are woven into Western culture, in particular, into American culture, uh, these have put spotlights on new areas of disintegration in my life um, that are really uncomfortable for me. Hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but they're good, uh, and they're, they're forcing me to recognize um, some of my own life patterns and habits in how I operate and live in my own city. Um, how I relate to the houseless people uh, who are around me. How I conceive of them and think about them in my heart and how I relate to them. Uh, I've had some pretty um, humbling and re revealing moments that God's humbled me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's really not fun, um, but what I, what I've come to uh, again, I, this is probably this is not going to be brand new to any of, of your listeners. Probably is just when you have those moments where you realize, like, part this part of my life, I'm kind of propping up a, an illusion of the kind of person yeah. I think I am, and then I realize, like, oh my gosh, I'm not that person, but I'm telling other people to be like that. Uh, those are not proud moments, no. um, but uh, you know we all have. You have just a couple responses. You either let down your guard, yeah. and you invite other people in, and say like, "I need help with this area of disintegration," um, and I need to form new habits that will make me and to form lead me to become the kind of person that really embodies um, love of God and love of neighbor. And so 
Um, yeah, there you go. That's in a nutshell. It's a perennial issue for anyone in pastoral ministry, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me was uh, in the last year, I've developed more intentionally a small network mm. of, of people um, outside of my ministry work context. And I have not just given them permission, but like made them um, uh, be involved and more in in interrogating in my life. Yeah. I just, I need them. I need their eyes on my life because uh, living that disintegrated kind of life for me is so draining and guilt-ridden and I know it, it's not the, the way Jesus, uh, what, what he has in store for us. So, yeah, there you go. That, that's yeah. kind of, that's Thanks where I'm at. Thanks for sharing that. Time. Yeah, absolutely. It resonates really deeply with me. Um, I think there's something about being in the ministry work, the work of church building or ministry mm. building, whatever you characterize it as or call it, where you can find yourself inviting people into something that you're not experiencing yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and that goes with the lifestyle of Jesus, but even the love of God that like fuels and empowers and animates mm. that lifestyle and to be telling people about his love, but not abiding and tasting it yourself. And it just mm. happens so easily. And I don't, <laughs> all I know is ministry life. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know if it's just the life of every believer, but mm-hmm. I know the people listening are people in the ministry and just yeah. the, the propensity towards that dual life. A disin- mm-hmm. I love your language of disintegration. Yes. Um, and you already kind of spoke to what you do with it, but maybe to the person listening right now who's either helping a friend walk through that or they themselves feel that disintegration. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you're a pastor at heart. What's the pastoral mm-hmm. word for our mm-hmm. friend listening right now that maybe feels that disintegration? Yeah, well, um, one abiding theme uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament is that the people that God chooses as the vehicle of his work um, are definitely B team and C team. (laughs) 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 Like just raw materials. Uh, And so this, this vision of like the fully integrated life it can't remain only an ideal, but it is an ideal. And to recognize it's a journey of growth and failure and success and this kind of thing. Um, that's one important for me to just know that my failures and lack of integration don't um, uh, you know, disqualify me from being able to speak mm. into the lives of other people. I, I guess, actually, I should backtrack and say there are some areas of disintegration that probably sure. do mean you should check out of yeah. ministry for a while uh, and, and so but there you go but there's degrees you know sure. I suppose um, so but another one I, what I had to do was just I can't um, polish or I can't focus on all of the cracks in my character at once um, but what I found was at least focusing on one at a time with actual people Mm-hmm. Um, and inviting just, you know, we're, our, our characters are the end result of the whole process of our lives, of patterns of decision-making and formation. And so the way to renew them is going to be an equally long process of new habits and decision-making. And um, that's, um, that's why you need, you need people in your life. Um, so, man, that safe circle of people who are outside of your immediate realm 
of work and ministry, I think is a really vital hmm. health network because they don't actually they don't think you're as awesome as maybe other people think you are, or they don't criticize you the way that other people do. Like they're just your friends and they love you, yeah. and, and you've invited them to shine a spotlight on these areas of your life where you need to grow. And um, that that's not a circle that I always did very well at cultivating, hmm. and I I can see how vital having a circle of of peers and friends like that is. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I can't say enough how grateful I am for the work of the Bible Project and how it's helped me personally, my own journey, understanding and living into and responding to the Bible, but also helping others. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to you. And I know that you would want to point attention to a bigger team. And so thank you to the whole team that puts so much love and care, those patrons. Yeah, thank you so much for your work. And Mm. I just can't wait to keep seeing what you guys come up with. Well, a special thank you to you, Tim, for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to check out more of what he and the Bible Project team have to share with you, head to thebibleproject.com. I promise you, it's incredible. It's an amazing resource. I personally love watching the videos alongside my own Bible reading. I find Tim's voice so incredibly easy to listen to. And I promise you, if you're wanting to dive deeper into the Bible, this is a resource you need to check out. All right, next week we'll be sharing Jason's chat with Pastor Phil Can. Before Youth Alpha, some of you might have run a resource called Quest to reach your friends who didn't know Jesus, and Phil was one of the hosts of that video series. He's a passionate evangelist and Bible teacher, currently pastoring in beautiful Pemberton, British Columbia, and we are so excited to share the conversation he and Jason had this upcoming Monday. Now, before we say goodbye, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with someone you think would too. And feel free to give us a like or review on whatever platform you're listening on if you haven't already. Okay, but that's all I have for you today. We'll be back next week for our interview with Phil Can. See you soon.